0: FOSS Corporation, LLC. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Terry's Mysterious Moments. This is season six. So sit back and enjoy. Listen to some stories of the weird, of the odd, of the strange and unusual Some ghost stories, some cryptid stories, some just strange stuff. Again, welcome to Season 6. Enjoy. Hello, Mysterians. How are you today? It's going to be another warm day in South Texas. But then again, it is summer, so I don't have room to gripe. I live here mostly voluntarily, so... I saw an interesting article the other day and I decided to do a little research on it. And a few shows ago I did something call, uh, did a show about something called the Obsidian Mirror, that a fellow that used to work for Queen Elizabeth I would use to supposedly speak to spirits. That action is called scrying, it's what fortune tellers use crystal balls for. In the story Snow White, the evil queen speaks to her quote, magic mirror, unquote, to get her temporary fix of self-love. Mirror, mirror on the wall, who's the fairest of them all? To which the mirror usually replied, you are my queen until Snow White, what, maybe reached her majority? And suddenly it said, it ain't you, babe. This other little girl's got it going on. Which made the queen mad and tried to kill Snow White. And we know the rest of that story. In Harry Potter, Harry finds the Mirror of Erised which is desire spelled backwards, which he then spends untold hours looking into it, for it shows him what he desires most, time spent with his murdered parents. Throughout history and in story after story, there are magic mirrors mentioned. Mirrors you can cross through to go to a different place, different time, different dimension maybe. There are stories about spirits being captured in mirrors. In the old days, when someone in a house would die, they would cover the mirrors so the spirits couldn't get into them and stay. But do magic mirrors really exist? Oddly enough, they just might. For decades, a handheld mirror in the Cincinnati Art Museum's collection of East Asian art was thought to be a simple-looking glass made of bronze. Now if you think that's kinda odd, if you polish bronze up enough you're gonna get a mirror-like reflection. They thought it was a simple-looking glass made of bronze with an invocation of the Amitabha Buddha inscribed on one side. Now, after a chance discovery by a curator, the circular object has become something of a mystery. When illuminated with a bright light, it projects a gauzy or fuzzy image of a Buddha surrounded by rays of light, a figure who is otherwise undetectable. There is nothing on the surface. It's just a polished reflecting surface with a bit of corrosion," says Dr. Humay Sung, the museum's curator of East Indian art, who found the hidden image. It doesn't give you any clue. Thought to date to the 16th century, the mirror is an example of a magic mirror, or mirrors known as light penetrating, that were made in China and Japan. Sun, who had last displayed the work in 2017 in an exhibition on Japanese arms and armor, revisited the mirror because she was on the hunt for more Buddhist objects to include in a rehang of the galleries. During a research, she learned about Buddhist magic mirrors, which typically featured the same inscription, Hail to Amitabha Buddha, the Buddha of Infinite Light, on the back. Just by chance, I asked our object conservator to do a test, to shine a light on the back, to see if it has this magic nature." Sung says, to our surprise, we found that it does indeed project a hidden image of the Buddha. The mirror was accessioned in 1961, but entered the collection earlier. With no complete record to reference, Sung has been piecing together its history and significance by looking at other examples of magic mirrors. In part because of the cryptic nature, however, few others have been identified. One is in the collection of the Tokyo National Museum and another in that of the Metropolitan Museum of Art. Both date to the Edo period and feature the same six-character chant to Amitabha in simplified Chinese characters, which were commonly used in Japan. The Cincinnati Art Museum's mirror, however, uses traditional characters, suggesting that it was made in China. The origins of magic mirrors can be traced to the 2nd century BC, during the Han Dynasty, Song says, when people would hold small mirrors in front of sunlight to cast decorations on their backs onto the wall. These early designs were traditional, consisting of repetitive circular patterns and auspicious sayings, and they were used for ritual purposes. The curator believes the Buddhist versions developed during the Ming Dynasty and were likely used for worship of Amitabha, with adherents chanting the invocation to gain rebirth into the Western Paradise after death. They were more technologically complex, showing no trace of their projected designs. It appears to be more magic, she says. It's not reflecting the decoration on the back of the mirror, but it's an image hidden inside the mirror, like a miracle. Scholars have been researching the craft behind magic mirrors as early as the 7th century. One theory is that makers polished the backs of mirrors in a deliberate way to create subtle but precise marks to manipulate light that hit the surface. Modern research has found that the technique involves two metal discs soldered together so the Buddha image is sealed within the mirror on the backside of the front surface. It is very technical. It is tremendously difficult to reproduce. The Cincinnati Art Museum will illuminate the hidden Buddha when the mirror goes on display by shining a light on its reflective surface. Visitors will still be able to see the other side and read the inscription as they gaze upon the phantasmagorical figure. I'm not sure that that's the right word to use, but that's the word that's used. Phantasmagorical figure. We are just trying to create a way to demonstrate the magic nature. Song says. You know, the thing I remember a lot about mirrors is when I would go to the barber shop as a little boy. You had mirrors, obviously, behind the barbers, the way they would cut your hair. They could either stand behind you and face you toward that mirror, or they would stand behind you with their back to the mirror, and you would look across to where the seats were, and above the seats were more mirrors. Now, what I remember most is the fact that there were mirror after mirror after mirror after mirror mirror in the image. And in one I was forwards, the other was I was backwards, and then I was forwards, and then I was backwards, and I got smaller and smaller as it went off into the distance. Now, there's a name for that, which I don't have handy right now, but there are also comments made by people that this could be a way for spirits to get into the world. And I'm I don't know, maybe, maybe not. But they're weird. And I know that older mirrors, when they start to decline, their their backing will buckle. Uh, the reflective surface will buckle sometimes. And it creates images by nature in the mirrors. And if you look at them just right, they look like faces or maybe demons even to it. But mirrors are an interesting thing. Can they really show you the real you sometimes? They might. Anyway, I wanna move on and talk about something that's been a curiosity since it was found back in 1901 or two. So for 120 years, this thing's been in public existence and it's been studied over and over and over and they're finally finding out the secrets to it. It's called the Antikythera Mechanism and it's an ancient Greek hand-powered orrery. O-R-R-E-R-Y. That's a representation of the solar system. You remember those in school, right? Where the big yellow ball is the sun, and there's a little ball for Mercury, and then there's a little bit bigger ball for the next planet, and then there's a bit bigger ball, and it was blue for the Earth. And sometimes the Earth actually had the moon going around it. And then the other planets were on different distances from the sun. And if it was mechanical, you would turn a crank or something, and it would turn as the way the planets would circle the Sun. So they were neat for little kids to see and I mean they're still neat, but I don't have any surprises left in the the, uh, the uh, solar system for me. Anyway, this little mechanism was described as the oldest example of an analog computer used to predict astronomical positions and eclipses decades in advance. It could also be used to track the four-year cycle of athletic games, which was similar to an Olympiad, the cycle of the ancient Olympic games. The artifact was found among wreckage retrieved from a shipwreck off the coast of the Greek island of Antikythera in 1901. In 1902, on May 17th, it was identified as containing a gear by archaeologist Valerios Stace. The device housed in the remains of a, now get this for the size, the remains of a 3.4 inch by 7.1 inch by 3.5 inch wooden box. That's not very big, that's about the size of a cigar box was found as one lump, and due to it not being preserved, it separated into three main fragments later. And that's now, after research and and testing on the thing, it's in 82 separate fragments. And it is being conserved now. They are doing conservation work on it. Four of these fragments contain gears, while inscriptions are found on many others the largest gear is approximately 5.1 inches in diameter and originally had 223 teeth but you know as we get older we lose teeth so why not this thing too it's a couple of thousand years old or more in 2008 a team led by mike Edmonds and tony freeth at cardiff university used modern computer x-ray tomography and we've discussed tomography before that's using x-rays to see what's inside an object, and high-resolution surface scanning to image inside the fragments of the crusted mechanism and read the faintest inscriptions that once covered the outer casing of the machine. This suggests that it had 37 meshing bronze gears, enabling it to follow the movements of the sun and the moon through the zodiac to predict eclipses and to model the irregular orbit of the moon, because the moon doesn't circle in a circle, it's, it ellipses in an ellipse. It's an oval. Where the moon's velocity is higher in its perigee than in its apogee. And everybody knows that when you compare perigees and apogees, uh, it's not right. The motion was studied in the second century BC by astronomer Hipparchus. I want to read that again. This motion was studied in the 2nd century BC by astronomer Hipparchus of Rhodes, and it is speculated that he may have been consulted in the machine's construction. There is speculation that a portion of the mechanism is missing, and it also calculated the positions of the five classical planets, since they could not see the other four They only assumed there were five. And, of course, they assumed that everything circled around the Earth. Because that's where we were. The instrument is believed to have been designed and constructed by Greek scientists and has been variously dated to about 87 B.C., or between 150 and 100 B.C., or to 205 B.C. What the heck? Let's just say Simon Peter built it. In any case, it must have been constructed before the shipwreck. Really? You think? It was found on the shipwreck, which has been dated by multiple lines of evidence to approximately 70 to 60 BC. In 2022, researchers proposed that the initial calibration date of the machine, not its actual date of construction, could have been December 23rd, 178 BC. Well, we know that they weren't setting up for Christmas. Other experts propose 204 BC as a more likely calibration date. Machines with similar complexity did not appear again until the astronomical clocks of Richard of Wallingford and Giovanni de Dandi in the 14th century. So 1,600 years between the the creation of this Antikythera device and astronomical clocks. 1,600 years. All known fragments of the Antikythera mechanism are now kept at the National Archaeological Museum in Athens, along with a number of artistic reconstructions and replicas to demonstrate how it may have looked and may have worked. Captain Demetrios Kantos and a crew of sponge divers from Simi Island discovered the Antikythera shipwreck in early 1900 and recovered artifacts during the first expedition with the Hellenic Royal Navy in 1900 and 1901. That's the Greek Navy, by the way. The Hellenic Royal Navy is the Greek Royal Navy. This wreck of a Roman cargo ship was found at a depth of 148 feet off Point Glyphadia on the Greek island of Antikythera. These sponge divers dived 148 feet with no scuba gear. They freedived down to this wreck. The team retrieved numerous large objects including bronze and marble statues, pottery, unique glassware jewelry coins and this mechanism. The mechanism was received from the wreckage in 1901 and it is not known how the mechanism came to be on the cargo ship but it has been suggested that it was being taken from Rhodes to Rome together with other looted treasure to support a triumphal parade being staged by Julius Caesar. All the items retrieved from the wreckage were transferred to the National Museum of Archaeology in Athens for storage and analysis. The mechanism appeared to be a lump of corroded bronze and wood. It went unnoticed for two years while museum staff worked on piecing together more obvious treasures such as the statues. Now, situation here is this thing's been underwater for more than 2,000 years or for almost 2,000 years. And they take it out of the seawater, and it's allowed to dry out without being treated because they didn't know what the Dickens' this thing was. And so it started to rot, fall apart. And in 1902, archaeologist Valerio Stace found that one of the pieces of rock had a gear wheel embedded in it. He initially believed that it was an astronomical clock, but most scholars considered the device to be prochronistic. It was too complex to have been constructed during the same period as the other pieces that had been discovered. Investigations into the object were dropped until British science historian and Yale University professor Derek J. DeSola Price became interested in it in 1951 so it laid around for 50 years. In 1971, Price and a Greek nuclear physicist made X-ray and gamma-ray images of the 82 fragments. Price published a 70-page paper on their findings in 1974. Two other searches for items at the Antikythera site in 2012 and 2015 have yielded art objects and a second ship, which may or may not be connected with the treasure ship, on which the mechanism was found. Also found was a bronze disc embellished with the image of a bull. The disc has four ears, which have holes in them, and it was thought by some that it may have been part of the Antikythera mechanism as a cogwheel. There appears to be little evidence, though, that it was part of the mechanism, and it's more likely that the disc was a bronze decoration on a piece of furniture. The Antikythera mechanism is generally referred to as the first known analog computer. The quality and complexity of the mechanism's manufacture suggests that it may have undiscovered predecessors during the Hellenistic period. Its construction relied on theories of astronomy and mathematics developed by Greek astronomers during the 2nd century BC, and it is estimated to have been built in the late 2nd century BC or the early 1st century BC. In 2008, continued research by the Antikythera Mechanism Research Project suggested that the concept of the mechanism may have originated in the colonies of Corinth, since they identified the calendar on the Metonic Spiral as coming from Corinth or one of its colonies in northwest Greece or Sicily. Syracuse was a colony of Corinth and the home of Archimedes, and the Antikythera Mechanism Research Project argued in 2008 that it might imply a connection with the school of Archimedes. It was demonstrated in 2017 that the calendar on the Metonic spiral is of the Corinthian type but cannot be that of Syracuse. Another theory suggests that coins found by Jacques Cousteau at the wreck site in 1970s, date to the time of the device's construction, and posits that its origin may have been from the ancient Greek city of Pergamon, home of the library of Pergamum, With its many scrolls of arts and science, it was second in importance only to the Library of Alexandria during the Hellenistic period. The ship carrying the device also contained vases in the Rhodian style, leading to a hypothesis that it was constructed at an academy founded by Stoic philosopher Posidonius on that Greek island. Rhodes was a busy trading port in antiquity and a center of astronomy and mechanical engineering, home to astronomer Hipparchus, who was active from 140 BC to about 120 BC. The mechanism uses Hipparchus's theory for the motion of the moon, which which suggests the possibility that he may have designed it or at least worked on it. It has recently been argued that the astronomical events on the para-pegma of the Antikythera mechanism work best for latitudes in a range of 33.3 to 37.0 degrees north. island of Rhodes is located between the latitudes of 35.85 and 36.50 degrees north. To say that the Antikythera device is far in advance of what it should have been is an understatement. This thing would supposedly tell the phase of the moon. Where the moon was in relation to the earth and sun, when there would be eclipses, when there would be um, other things that would happen, the the devices, the gears in the device were so perfect that they could tell by using this machine when something was going to happen in the heavens. You know when they would see something. So, and it kept time on how long between Olympic type games which I'm not really interested in but hey, there's a lot more information about this little device that um, you can look for on the internet. I'm not going to go into a lot of detail because it'll take way too much time. There's stuff in there that I don't understand and I'm not going to make you try to understand it. So, let's just say the Antikythera device is one of those things that's unexplained. It is indeed mysterious, but yet it's a wonder of the ancient world. We have things now called computers that apparently this thing could outdo in heartbeat. Anyway, that's all I have for this week. I thank you for coming along for the ride. To my Mysterians, I hope you have a good week. To all you other listeners, I hope you have a good week. Stay cool. Summertime can't last forever, although it does seem like it. And we'll catch you on the next show, okay? Have a great week, folks. Bye-bye.